Warning, Seriously Strange covers topics that may frighten or disturb you. Viewer discretion is advised. Good-looking, charming, intelligent, well-educated. Many people with these traits go on to make a positive name for themselves. However, one man took this concept in a different direction. Ted Bundy exploited his good looks and charm to his advantages, taking the lives of young women and girls who were too trusting and too vulnerable. And his path of terror made him one of the most memorable serial killers of all time. Let's open the serial killer file. Ted Bundy was born Theodore Robert Cowell on November 23, 1946 in Burlington, Vermont to a single unwed mother named Eleanor Louise Cowell and a father whose identity was not known. To avoid the stigma of being born out of wedlock, his grandparents Samuel and Eleanor raised him in Philadelphia to believe initially they were his parents and his mother was his sister, though he eventually discovered the truth. In 1950, his mother moved with Ted to Tacoma, Washington, and in 1951 met and married Johnny Bundy, who adopted Ted and had four children with Louise. Ted was known to have idolized his grandfather, a cruel, racist man who physically abused his wife and daughters. He resented his mother for having never told him about his biological father and disliked his stepfather, despite his efforts to make Ted feel included. Ted began showing signs of unsettling behavior at a young age, an incident described by his Aunt Julia as her awakening from a nap to three-year-old Ted standing and smiling by her bedside, having placed knives around her as she slept. As he grew into adolescence, he took to stealing, breaking and entering, and peeping through windows. During high school, he was arrested on suspicion of burglary and auto theft, but records of this were expunged at age 18. After graduating high school in 1965, Ted enrolled in the University of Puget Sound before transferring to the University of Washington in 1966 to study Chinese. During his time there, he began dating a fellow student known as Stephanie Brooks and eventually dropped out. But his relationship with Stephanie would not last as she ended their involvement that year. This was a turning point in Ted's life. In his devastation, he traveled to various states and briefly attended Temple University before returning to Washington in 1969. In 1970, he met Elizabeth Klopfer, a divorce secretary at the University of Washington School of Medicine, whom he began a turbulent relationship with and dated multiple women without her knowledge. He re-enrolled as a psychology major at the University of Washington, graduating in 1972. 
1971, he worked at Seattle's Suicide Crisis Hotline alongside Seattle police officer and future crime writer Ann Rule, who would become one of his biographers later in life. After graduation, Ted became involved in politics and managed to get accepted by two law schools, and in 1973 secretly renewed his relationship with Stephanie Brooks while still in a relationship with Elizabeth. Life seemed to be looking up for Ted. He was talking marriage with Stephanie and introduced her as his fiance to his bosses, but in January of 1974, he broke off his relationship with Stephanie in what is believed to have been an act of revenge for their previous breakup. By April, he had dropped out of law school. It was at this point that women began to disappear. Ted Bundy's first attempted murder was that of 18-year-old University of Washington student Joni Lenz. He broke into her basement apartment around midnight on January 4, 1974, bludgeoning and sexually assaulting her with a metal rod from her own bed. She survived the ordeal, but not without permanent injuries. Multiple women began disappearing within a month of each other. On February 1st, 21-year-old University of Washington student Linda Ann Healy had disappeared from her home in the early hours of the morning. On March 12th, 19-year-old student Donna Gail Manson, a rebellious girl known to take off without notice, disappeared on her way to a jazz concert on the Evergreen State College campus and was not reported missing for several days. April 17th, 19-year-old Susan Elaine Rancourt disappeared from Central Washington State College on her way to view a German film with a friend. May 6th, 22-year-old Roberta Kathleen Parks disappeared from Oregon State University while on her way to have coffee with friends. Later that month, 22-year-old Brenda Ball disappeared after leaving the Flame Tavern in Berlin, Washington, last seen with a brown-haired man whose arm was in a sling. The ruse of the injured man would become a Bundy signature, exploiting the kindness of these women to make them more vulnerable to him. All six women's remains were found on Taylor Mountain near Issaquah, Washington over a year later. Police became concerned but were unable to find any evidence to connect the disappearances other than their appearances. Pretty, young, college-aged women with long, middle-parted hair. After the June 10th disappearance of 18-year-old University of Washington student George Ann Hawkins, police scoured the alleyway between her boyfriend's dormitory and her sorority house looking for evidence, but found nothing. Witnesses reported a man using crutches with a leg cast near the dormitory struggling to carry a briefcase to his car, a light brown Volkswagen Beetle. The final two victims of the Northeast area were 23-year-old Janice Ott and 18-year-old Denise Nasland, both of whom disappeared separately from Lake Sammamish State Park on July 14, 1974. The two missing women and George Ann Hawkins' remains were found three months later, two miles from the park. Police in King County got a detailed description of the suspect from various witnesses and upon seeing the composite sketch, friends, co-workers from the Department of Emergency Services where Ted worked, and even his girlfriend Elizabeth, all recognized and reported him to the police. However, police doubted that the charming, well-mannered law student could have been the killer and he was overlooked as a suspect. 
In the fall of 1974, Ted moved to Salt Lake City, Utah to attend the University of Utah Law School, but found himself unable to keep up with his fellow students, feeling inferior to their intelligence. Women began disappearing once again. On October 2nd, 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox disappeared. Two weeks later, on October 18th, 17-year-old Melissa Ann Smith disappeared after leaving a pizza parlor. Her remains found nine days later. She was found to have remained alive for up to a week after disappearing. On Halloween, 17-year-old Laura Ann Amy disappeared after leaving a cafe at midnight. Her naked body was found beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled to death on Thanksgiving. Elizabeth attempted to report Ted to the police two more times, once to the police in Washington and once to the police in Utah, but her reports were largely overlooked. On the afternoon of November 8th, Ted approached 18-year-old Carol Duronk at a mall in Murray, Utah, posing as a police officer. He informed her that someone had tried to break into her car and she should accompany him back to the police station. When she realized Bundy was not heading towards the station, he attempted to handcuff her, but she managed to escape, flagging down another driver. Later that night, 17-year-old Deborah Kent disappeared after leaving a school theater production. Witnesses reported a man lingering near the auditorium that night, and the key that unlocked the handcuffs used on Carol was found in the parking lot. Her body has never been located. By 1975, Bundy had shifted his hunting ground to Colorado, making his way between both Colorado and Utah to find new victims. January 12th saw the disappearance of 23-year-old nurse Karen Campbell from a hallway at the Wildwood Inn. Her nude body was found a month later near the resort. She had been bludgeoned to death. On March 15th, 26-year-old ski instructor Julie Cunningham disappeared on her way to a dinner date. Bundy later confessed to beating, assaulting, and strangling her. On April 6th, 25-year-old Denise Oliverson disappeared while riding her bicycle near the Utah-Colorado border in Grand Junction. On May 6th, Ted traveled to Pocatello, Idaho, where he kidnapped, raped, and drowned 12-year-old Lynette Dawn Culver in a hotel room before disposing of her body in a river. On June 28th, Susan Curtis disappeared from Brigham Young University. The bodies of this group of victims were never found. Investigators in Washington were finally beginning to piece together evidence to track down their killer, compiling a database and finding Ted Bundy's name appear on several lists of potential suspects, causing him to rise to the top of their suspects. Bundy's first arrest occurred on August 16, 1975, when he failed to pull over for a routine traffic stop in Granger, Utah. The officer noted the front passenger seat was missing, and upon searching the car, found rope, ski masks, handcuffs, and other items that were initially thought to be used for burglary. Police later searched Bundy's apartment and found some evidence tying him to Karen Campbell and Deborah Kent, but nothing that could concretely link him, and he was released. Bundy attempted to destroy evidence by selling his beetle to a teenager, but police confiscated it. Searches of the vehicle uncovered hair evidence matching samples from Karen Campbell, Melissa Smith, and Carol Duronk. Carol and witnesses from the night Deborah Kent disappeared later picked Bundy out of a police lineup. Bundy was charged with aggravated kidnapping and attempted assault. His parents paid his $15,000 bail, and he went on to stand trial on February 23, 1976. The trial lasted four days, and he waived his right to a jury. 
He was found guilty of the kidnapping and assault and was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in Utah State Prison. In June, he was charged with the murder of Karen Campbell and was transferred to Aspen in January of 1977. But staying in prison was not something Ted was keen on. On June 7, 1977, after being transported to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for his preliminary hearing, he asked to visit the courthouse library as he chose to be his own attorney. Due to this, he was excused from handcuffs and leg shackles, and Ted took advantage of this and escaped through a window. He hiked through the forest, breaking into cabins to survive. After six days on the run, he was caught after stealing a car and driving recklessly due to exhaustion and an ankle injury sustained from his escape. Despite legal advisors and friends urging him to stay in jail and await the trial, he plotted his next escape. Ted seemed to focus on losing weight, which didn't arouse much suspicion. But he was intelligent and calculating. Obtaining a floor plan of the jail, a hacksaw blade, and cash from visitors over six months, Ted cut a hole in the ceiling of his cell. After losing 35 pounds to fit through the hole, he made his final escape attempt on December 30th, while most of the jail staff were on Christmas break. After making his bed to appear as though he were asleep, he climbed through the crawlspace above his cell, broke into the chief jailer's apartment, stole clothes, and walked out of the jail. He stole cars, hitchhiked, and took buses to Denver before flying to Chicago. His absence was not noticed until noon the next day. Ted eventually made his way to Tallahassee, Florida on January 8, 1978, renting a room at a boarding house near Florida State University under the name Chris Hagen. He attempted to live honestly, but found this impossible to do while trying to hide his identity at the same time. He took to stealing credit cards and shoplifting to survive. Soon, however, Ted's urges returned, and he went on a rampage. Less than a week after arriving in Tallahassee on January 15th, Ted broke into Florida State University's Chi Omega Sorority House in the early morning hours. He bludgeoned and strangled 21-year-old Margaret Bowman. He then brutally beat 20-year-old Lisa Levy, biting and sexually assaulting her with a hairspray bottle. He then attacked Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler, breaking their jaws and beating them unconscious. The attack was said to have occurred in under 15 minutes. After leaving the house, Ted broke into the apartment of student Cheryl Thomas and attacked her, leaving her permanently deaf and ending her dance career. Chandler, Kleiner, and Thomas survived their ordeals. Levy and Bowman, however, were not as lucky and died soon after. Ted's last known victim was 12-year-old Kimberly Leach, who disappeared on her way to class at Lake City Junior High School on the morning of February 9, 1975. Her remains were found seven weeks later, nearly 35 miles from her last known location. Ted was caught nearly a week later on February 15th near the Alabama state line after being pulled over in a stolen vehicle. He attempted to escape and assault the officer, but was eventually subdued and arrested. Bundy stood trial for the assaults and murders of the Chi Omega sorority girls in June of 1979 to national sensation. His public defender and one of the members of his defense team attempted to set up a plea bargain, agreeing that he would plead guilty to the murders of Lisa Levy, Margaret Bowman, and Kimberly Leach in exchange for 75 years. Prosecutors agreed, but Bundy backed out at the last minute, too proud to admit his guilt. This proved to be a fatal move, as eyewitness evidence placed him at the crime scene and odontologists matched bite marks found on Lisa Levy. 
the jury deliberated less than seven hours before finding Ted Bundy guilty on July 24, 1979, of two counts of murder, three counts of attempted first-degree murder, and two counts of burglary. Ted Bundy was sentenced to death. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. The trial for the murder of Kimberly Leach took place six months later in Orlando. Clothing fibers matching Ted's jacket were found in a van he had stolen and on Kimberly's body. An eyewitness testimony putting him at the school with her on that day of her kidnapping. The jury found him guilty in less than eight hours. During the sentencing phase, as he questioned former girlfriend Carol Ann Boone, who was testifying as a character witness, he proposed to her and she accepted. Due to a Florida law that constitutes legal marriage, when declared before a judge in court, they were legally declared married. She gave birth to their daughter in October of 1982. Bundy was sentenced to death for a third time on February 10, 1980. Over the next nine years, he would confess to the murders of a total of 30 people, detailing how he killed and mutilated their bodies, admitting to acts of necrophilia, grooming the bodies, and keeping body parts as trophies. After many stays of execution in exchange for confessions, he was finally executed for Kimberly Leach's murder via electric chair on January 24, 1989, at 7.16 a.m. He was 42 years old. Somebody who believes he is so innocent, why was there no emotion? People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in there. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, he really can't get violent and angry. Uh, there's no right, right way for me to act. Sure, I'm mad. I'm showing emotion right now because inside I'm mad. But I've kept it together because there's no point in destroying myself. I have got to keep myself together. I have got to stay calm. I've got to keep my presence of mind because as long as I do that, I'm going to beat these people. And that's the way I feel. I'll tell you, as long as they attempt to keep their heads in the sand about me, there's going to be people turning up in canyons and there's going to be people being shot in Salt Lake City because the police there aren't willing to accept what I think they know and they know that I didn't do these things. Look 
other young people are reading the kinds of things and seeing the kinds of things that are available in the media today. Ted, as you would imagine, there's tremendous cynicism about you on the outside, and I suppose for good reason. Uh, I'm not sure that there's anything that you could say that people would uh, would believe, some people would believe. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, you told me last night, and I have heard this through our mutual friend John Tanner, that you have uh, accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and uh, are a follower and a believer in Him. Do you draw strength from that uh, as you approach these final hours? I do. I can't say that uh, it's going to be being easy. in the, the the valley of the shadow of death is is something that I've become all that accustomed to, and that I you know, and that I'm strong and. Uh, uh, nothing's bothering me. Uh, listen, it's no fun. It's mm -hmm. it's it, you know it's it's uh, it gets kind of lonely, and yet I have to remind myself that every one of us uh, will go through this someday yes. in one way or another. It's and, into man. and countless uh, millions who have walked this earth before us have. So this is just an experience which we all share. And yeah, right on. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated, and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.